Hello, this is Courtney Law, the executive producer of How Art is Born, an MCA Denver original podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening. Your support means the world to us, and we hope you've found the episodes in season one so far to be as illuminating and inspiring as we have. I also wanted to take a moment to tell you about another cool Denver-based podcast, CityCast Denver. Hosted by longtime Denverite, as well as journalist, activist, and friend of the museum, Bree Davies, CityCast Denver is actually the city's first and only daily news podcast. Every weekday, Bree dives into the stories and issues that matter most to Denver and has real conversations with the artists, politicians, activists, and leaders who make our city great. If, for example, you are closely following the dicey Casa Bonita ownership situation, then you will want to tune into this podcast as they continue to shed light on how that is evolving. The CityCast Denver podcast will make you feel more connected to Denver, whether you've been here for six weeks or six generations. Without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode of How Art is Born. Professor, this is How Art is Born, an MCA Denver podcast about the origins of artists and their creative and artistic practice. Today I'm joined by licensed professional counselor and art therapist Jacinta L. Orlanda and artist and sex worker Diamanto Sella. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> and for the sake of not being confusing, I guess I could have done one at a time. So, hello, Jacinta. Hi. Hello, Diamanto. Hello. Because, <laughs> you know, people are listening. They're like, which, who, who? Wait, wait. <laughs> whose voice goes where? Right, right. <laughs> so many voices happening <laughs> So, uh, I guess, let's start with Jacinta. Can you tell us a little about who you are and what you do? Of course. Uh, starting with that big existential question there with who am I? Um, <laughs> but from the foundation of what I'm here is I am a... Um, a practicing mental health licensed counselor and art therapist. Um, I am an artist and I'm super, super passionate about the ways that art and story can be integrated into mental health therapeutic practices, very much like comic books, um, being a whole part of that. And comic books have been uh, in my life since probably birth because Hmm. of my father. So I think that has a lot to do with just where I'm at today. Yeah, nice. All right, Diamanto, who are you? What do you do? Uh, well, uh, I'm a trans disabled Sinto sex worker and I make art and used to do comics more. And it's, you know, it's kind of hard to write the whole story and figure all that stuff out when you're disabled and stuff, but right. doing my best yeah. getting through that. Um, and yeah, really, really interested in, uh, in comics and just narrative and, uh, visual storytelling. Hmm. There's a cool way, uh, that I think, I think it's just interesting to talk about like how each of us met because, uh, it's just this way that you're like in the world and you don't know that people are connected by art in the same way. Right. Yeah. So like just since you and I met, uh, at Comic-Con, so I guess that was mm-hmm. obvious, but were mm-hmm. you, you were Black Widow maybe? No. Uh, Domino, probably. Domino, yes. Your cosplaying <laughs> is Domino. Any female X-Men character you can name, I was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we were like across from each other. Mm-hmm. All right. And then you, uh, Diamante, we met at a Motown night. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that, 
that used to happen like every week in yeah. Denver. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were like sketching at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to I used to go to the bar and bring my sketchbook. It's a nice way to be around people. But uh, if you don't feel like talking to them, you have a good excuse. Like, no, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you can draw people. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have like uh, models. Ready. You have models right there. Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, so uh, I'd like to kind of start with where did art first appear in your life? So why don't we start with you, Diamante? Like, where did you first sort of connect with art? I feel like I, um, as soon as I could hold a pen, basically, I was drawing Hmm. all the time, like just all the time. And I drew like, I drew these like storyboard type of like almost comics, but they didn't have dialogue because like, at a certain point, I couldn't even I couldn't even write yet. You oh, know, like wow. I could draw, but I couldn't write more than a couple words. So, no. um, yeah, I would draw these like uh, storyboard kind of comic things with panels, and yeah, <laughs> when I was like three, four. Wow. Yeah. What was appealing to you about that? Like, did, did, was it that you just wanted to tell a story with your art, or like? Yeah, I think I um, I really liked cartoons and. Yeah. comic books, anime, all that stuff. So <laughs> stories, um, stories and art were always linked. Yeah. I interesting that you said that uh, your father especially mm-hmm. was in the comics. Um, was that the first art that you did? Was it comics art or did you kind of find your way to it? No, it actually, it actually wasn't. Yeah. I don't really remember what my first own creation of art was. Yeah. Um, my father, so my father is uh, Puerto Rican and my mother is um, white European Polish, but mm. the thing that they both shared was a love of the arts. Yeah. And my father used to draw and he used to replicate the um, comic book trading cards that huh. you would get. Oh. So he would have a little card of like rogue and then draw a big version of it. And I used to just sit and watch enamored oh, nice. that he could do that huh. with colored pencils. And so uh, I believe that that just having the privilege of being in a household where my parents really fostered creativity, I just naturally was like, okay. And my mom would tell me I would sit on top of the kitchen table um, with all my colors and just markers and things just all over the place and would just draw. But I feel like I didn't really develop my own personal relationship with art until I was in high school. Hmm. Um, something, a big transition and grief happened in my life. And I knew intuitively that I needed an outlet because I'm not a feeler. (laughs) I'm a thinker through and through, but I knew that innately, I just needed something more to take care of myself. And that's when art just started flourishing. Um, and I started with a lot of character design, but it was sad stories and it was <laughs> sad characters. Like I remembered killing off an angel in a story <laughs> and then I drew it and my mom was like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I was like, it's my art. And so I think that's when I started using art form for storytelling and emotional expression. And yeah. it just started developing into um, character design and figuring out stories for characters, but not doing comic books. It was more like written prose for a while. Okay. And I didn't try to start doing my first comic until probably grad school, actually. Hmm. And so, like, it it sounds like you started using art 
as like a catharsis sort of to work through the grief that mm-hmm. you mentioned. And then it grew into wanting to tell other stories. Yeah, it came out of a very emotionally turmoil place. Yeah. Uh, and I realized just how healing the art can take you, especially in story form, right? It's mm-hmm. not always a safe feeling to just talk about an emotional trauma or a grief. Mm-hmm. But if I can use the metaphor of a comic book story, like a superhero origin story to write and process my feelings, that felt so much more, um, not only safe, but healing mm-hmm. for me to do. And that obviously prompted more exploration right. with comic books and how to use comic books to also mm-hmm. help others in their healing without having to draw. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so that's interesting. So like uh, you guys were talking about uh, just being young, like three or four and doing comics. I I remember when I was um, maybe four, I was trying to draw superheroes. And I thought that if I like added more humps to a muscle, like like more biceps, (laughs) like so I would draw characters like with super long arms and a whole bunch of bicep humps. I'd be like, they're really powerful. (laughs) Nobody can beat our man or whatever. This this guy's got so many biceps. (laughs) (laughs) Look at him. (laughs) No one can beat him. (laughs) Well, so, you know, for myself, I think um, reading comic books was... uh, a way of connecting because uh, being I was pretty good in school, uh, which meant that I wasn't very popular in elementary <laughs> school, you know, yeah. and I wasn't into sports or anything like that. So being able to uh, read these stories that touch like creativity, intelligence and drawing all things that, I, you know, that were like brewing in me, um, I found a place of connection. So Diamanto, for you, um, were you using art? early on to process feelings or was it just like, Hey, this is cool and beautiful. And I want to do something cool and beautiful. Um, I think, yeah, I think it probably, it, it took a while to have like that, that presence of mind to really understand that you process feelings to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, much like you just I was, uh, in, in high school, like middle school, high school, it was, uh, you know, pretty turbulent time. And I mm-hmm. feel like there's a lot of complex emotions going on and had like an event that caused a lot of grief for me personally as well. Mm. And, um, I think that's when art started being more of an outlet in that way, more than just like, I'm just bored. This is what I do when I'm bored. Mm. Like always. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, I guess it was interesting too. Like I, I really was, I drew a lot. But then uh, when I hit high school, I got involved in hip hop and uh, girls responded a lot more to hip hop than they did to comic books. Sure. <laughs> so, so I got waylaid. Like I kept reading them, but I wasn't drawing much anymore. I was like doing rap battles and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get back to trying to create comics until like 2016, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a few years ago. So uh, it's interesting to hear sort of like, what the journeys were like. Okay. So Jacinta, for you, mm-hmm. you said that that journey sort of culminated in college. Was it to just get to comic books and start trying to create those? Trying to create my own. Yeah. Yes. I've had a, I had a relationship with comics 
you know, my whole life and mm-hmm. watched all the nineties cause I'm a nineties baby. So all the nineties <laughs> X-Men and Justice yeah. League and all those shows that came out. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you were talking about reading the comics, I was very much drawn to X-Men in particular for that reason. I got right. to see empowered, amazing, um, women who were fully clothed (laughs) and so and I didn't realize how much that meant something to me Mm. at the time because I'm you you know when you're kids you're just like you're drawn to something and you know that you are but you're not quite sure why yeah and so I think when as I got older noticing more and more how much was missing Mm -hmm. in the comics that I really wanted to be there Mm. that's when in grad school when I realized that I could start to formulate how to use comics for healing yeah um, that really made me look at more and more of what was lacking Mm. in comic books and so that's when I started making my own and learning about um, other characters like La Boricenia who's a Puerto Rican superhero that nobody knows about Mm -hmm. and she has like three comics but uh you know, comics like that. And so that's when my relationship fully started just developing into how I use comic books. Now yeah. the relationship has transformed. Nice. Okay. Well, and Dima, yeah. I heard really strong. Yeah. When, uh, just was talking about like what is missing. Yeah. So what <laughs> yeah. things were you thinking of? Like what, what things was it that you wanted to see? Well, yeah, my, uh, my dad, my dad also read comic books. And so like I had, like I had access to a lot of his comic books from like the seventies or like sixties, seventies. Yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, mostly, mostly Marvel and all that. And then Mm -hmm. like, I read a little bit of stuff after that, but not, not super consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess, uh, like I was, I was doing comics, like not great, obviously, but like in, in middle school and high school mm-hmm. and, uh, writing stuff, but it was mostly, a lot of it was just like gory, horrible <laughs> stuff, you know, like vent art, um, <laughs> but that's a definite term. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like, yeah, when I, when I got more interested in, um, reading comics again, I, I felt like it was a little inaccessible to me because of a lot of the lack of like social awareness or like just that a lot of the people creating comics were, you know, just cis het white dudes. So like, it was, it was just like the stories from their perspective, even if it's like, even when characters were not cis het white dudes, it was like, there's still a cis-het white dude voice in here. And like, (laughs) and I don't feel, I just don't, I'm having a hard time connecting to some of this, you know? Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, we kind of talked about like how you first connected with it and what kind of appealed to you about the form. I guess I want to know like, so, okay. Jacinta, for example, you went, you you talked about working with uh, prose stories Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, comics were always a part of your life. But uh, when it came time to tell other stories or work in healing, like why? Why that medium? Why did you choose comics to do it in? I think it actually came from my very first uh, practice client huh. um, when I was in grad school. 
because I, I already know that I like to start with strengths-based things first uh, with people. I'm not that person that's like, so tell me about your trauma when you were like this, <laughs> you know, I, this is not helpful. Right. And I try to remember that everybody actually has their own wisdom for healing. And with this person in particular, extensive history of trauma, mm-hmm. um, he was also an offender and he didn't want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to talk mm-hmm. to me. And I, and I was okay with that. So I just, I think I remembered something he said mm-hmm. in another group. And I asked him if he liked comic books mm-hmm. and he started talking to me about Charles Xavier mm-hmm. and how much yes. Charles Xavier meant to him. The leader of the X-Men for people who are not in there. Yes, Charles, <laughs> uh, Charles Xavier from X-Men. Uh, how much he meant to him. And then that led me to want to ask more about why are you drawn to this character? Mm-hmm. Do you relate to him? Do you see yourself in him? And I realized that he was more willing to talk to me through uh, his trauma and just tell me about him through this metaphor. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I got to know who he was and we finally got to a place where he admitted when he was a child, he used to wish Superman would come in and rescue him and just Mm -hmm. take him away. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Right. (laughs) And so this paved the way for me to do research on superhero psychology and therapy, which there's, there's a lot of psychology fan base type of stuff but not a lot of therapy on Uh superhero therapy um, and wanting to figure out how to formulate that for me. So that's where it really flourished. And I always try to, if I'm going to have to write a 50 page paper on something, Mm -hmm. it better be something that I'm passionate about, that I want to learn more. And this was it. Hmm. I wanted to know how to do this more. And yeah, he drew what his super person self looked like. He drew what his shadow or villain self looked like. Mm And I asked him to just tell me verbally his origin story while I typed it for him. Mm -hmm. And we just had him draw the stuff that he was comfortable with drawing or making out of clay. Yeah. And uh, that's when I noticed. I was like, he's telling me his whole trauma story in this format. Mm -hmm. And it, it was working. And he was taking his own steps naturally. Mm to like tell me what his inner child was like. And I didn't have to do any of that. So I found that stories are just such an innate way of guiding you on your own path. And I was just there to help guide this whole process. And so that really opened my eyes to being able to use comic books in this way and prompted me to do more research, more (laughs) application and more presenting on how to even incorporate comic books and mental health practices. Yeah. So when you're uh, using comic books and mental health practices, is it uh, specifically like superhero archetypes or, I don't know, do non-superhero comics come up in that work? It, it depends. Sometimes yeah. it's more like we just use comic books as a guide for them to create their own. Yeah. Or we'll bring in a comic or I might even offer a comic. So uh, somebody may be talking to me and I said, do you mind if I share this with you? It seems like Mm -hmm. it relates to you. And I might bring in a comic book that I'm aware of and talk to them about it, ask them to read it and tell me their thoughts. Mm -hmm. 
And normally they're right in line with their experience. So I think for me, that's why it's important for me to know not as many comics as I can, because that's impossible, <laughs> yeah. but uh, try to find as many diverse uh, supers in the comic book universe. So I can be able to not offer, like you said earlier about not just offering a person of color or a trans person, all these cis heredo white superheroes. Mm-hmm. I want to find something more aligned. So it just really depends on yeah. who I'm with in the mm-hmm. room, what kind of comics or how they're being used. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I asked that question because, uh, well, first of all, I think people listening, a lot of people think that superheroes are uh, the only kind of comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a vigorous shaking of the head. No, but I just sent it for people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of people. Yeah, my mm-hmm was lots of people definitely think that. Yeah. And, and mine was disapproval. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I think um, obviously the superhero archetypes work in your work. Mm-hmm. And then Diamanto in your work, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how your work influences what you do artistically. So you've been an artist your whole life. Yeah. Uh, you've been a sex worker for how long? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of fuzzy because like, it's like, is is uh, is sleeping with someone so you have somewhere to stay that's not your own house? Like, it, it varies, like, right. the definition. So it's like... 15 plus years (laughs) in that case but like uh right but as far as like as an actual profession um like for money like uh i guess almost 10 years okay yeah well so then with that experience um how does that come into the art that you create like because um, so much of uh, creating art seems to be about filtering our experiences with people and the world and that yeah. kind of stuff. So yeah, um, yeah. How does it come into it? What you're creating? Well, I think uh, in a lot of ways, a lot of stories, like the stories that I enjoy the most, I feel like um, mm-hmm. talk about talk about justice and like and injustice yeah. and mm-hmm. marginalization and. Things like that, and uh, and being a sex worker, like even even now, it's like it's kind of trendy or whatever, and like people are like, yeah, sex work is work, Woo. but like, does that mean that people that those same people like treat me any better, really, when I'm like in a room with them? Not necessarily. Uh-huh. Um, like that was a uh, kind of like gaining this identity through having like a job which is so weird because I I was never like oh my job is like me like (laughs) right I'm not I'm not my job but like if you're a sex worker you like you kind of are your job whether you like it or not Mm -hmm. um because you're just constantly being shown images of yourself as subhuman because of Uh, what you do um and disposable especially in narratives and in in media mm -hmm. where it's like you know sex workers just get killed for just get killed off for like to let you know how bad a bad guy is or something like that lots of reasons but yeah uh i think kind of gaining that identity and like figuring out that i was 
queer and trans and stuff like that and getting more disabled as the years go on just kind of it it all kind of adds to that feeling of like needing stories and narratives that I can relate to Mm -hmm. yeah yeah are you are you finding those those kind of stories in comics or other places um I don't look I don't look super hard uh for comics right now Mm -hmm. but like Definitely in cartoons. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, which a lot of cartoons have, like, you know, spin-off kind of comics now. So yeah. It's like this, like, feeds into itself right. kind of um, well, So now I'm curious, industry. are you thinking, like, Steven Universe or... Yeah, Steven Universe is the obvious. she like, That was, yeah, She-Ra yeah. Is, a, is a good one, too. Um, what did I... Now, um, now the Owl House is... Oh, I've never even heard of it. It's good. Yeah, um, has a queer Latina kid. So oh. that's pretty, that's pretty great. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. It's such an interesting thing um, to have gone for a time without being able to see ourselves yeah. in media. And then, like, when we get a chance to, how profound that is. You know, um, I often tell the story of uh, going to comic book conventions when I was 10 years old. And back then, conventions were like 300 people. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, the first one I went to, like I said, I was 10. It was so, comics were not popular enough in Atlanta that they could have their own convention. So it was, comic book slash Star Trek convention. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't make black Vulcan ears. I wanted oh. to be a Vulcan. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, not only was I the only black person, but I was the only kid. It was all mm-hmm. like white dudes in their 20s and 30s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not even women or anything. You know? Yeah. And it's so amazing to me to see how much that whole world is proliferated. Like that Comic Cons can be like 150,000 people. Like that's crazy mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. That people who never read a comic book know the name of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> it's, yeah. it feels like, it feels like me and one of my friends made up a secret language when we were kids and that was all that like comic book stuff and now suddenly everybody knows the secret language. Yeah. You know? Like, what? Wait, how do you know? How do yeah. you know that? It's such an adjustment, man. Yeah. I was the only, only uh, cisgender female in growing up who liked comics enough to where all the white boys would be like, oh, and they try to challenge me on my comic book knowledge. Yeah. Oh, um, God. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible to see how large the community really is mm-hmm. for comics um, and being able to actually get to bond in that joy I yeah. think is even more beautiful but yeah there's still just some things that are lacking right. <laughs> in terms of representation yeah hmm. okay so we were talking about like how um, both professions kind of show up in mm-hmm. in art or how you you know observe art or whatever and I want to know more like like okay so Jacinta you know you talked about how you use comics in your practice but I know that you also create art like mm-hmm. you create comics um and write stories and you you know have pinups I guess is the I don't know what I'm trying to say post you do posters I remember you selling your art that's what I, <laughs> yes. I was like no I've never done pinups because those mean, are sexualized I didn't mean you were, <laughs> see, that's what I was wrong word you were not in a photo you were creating posters that could be pinned up on the wall yes of your art but I guess okay so what yes. uh what's important to you when you're creating art like is it just passion are you trying to put a message across like what kind of things are you thinking of I think it's it's both. 
there's a message there. And I think that it also still stems from what I am navigating in my art. Mm. So my the comic book that I created had a lot to do with me navigating my own identity. Mm. And, uh, you know, being biracial, it took me a long time to even be able to say that. Mm. Mm. And so when I created the my super person self, um, she actually has skin pigmentation. So you can actually see the mm. two skin colors. And that was something that was really important for me. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't like that I did that. Mm. Uh, well, how, how did that show up? Were people just... People just like, I don't like that or <laughs> pretty much they, they were like, I don't like that. Or why would you put um, color on like somebody who looks white, huh. for example? And, uh, hmm. you know, I've always been in that that place of not being recognized as a person of color enough or mm. a white person enough. Mm. And so but that that came out in my artwork on navigating my identity, but it also grew to be a message about how do we preserve culture or how do we honor differences or how do you know and it, it it's more of a mythology um because it's about oracles so it's more of a mythology than a traditional comic book yeah but i think that's what a lot of my artwork does it's very illustrative mm. uh it's markers and pen and it always sets a scene or a tone yeah and so I think I'm always trying to navigate my own internal worlds, but they do get processed to a greater message. One of the pieces that I think you're referring to that often got sold a lot at conventions was never my fan art. Mm. It was the two children that were just colorless because I wanted to be able to just fill in their own image of what that child was mm -hmm. amidst this huge, dangerous lava fantasy landscape yeah and that had to do with me navigating a lot of my inner child mm. Mm. not trauma I don't identify as having traumas but just a lot of my own inner child development and some of the obstacles that I came up against okay. and it comes out to this message where people are noticing their own reactions seeing mm -hmm. childlike figures mm. in a dangerous environment hmm. um that's also still a fantastical realm so i think it gets confusing because they're like i'm drawn to this it's beautiful mm -hmm. there's something about this that's magical and this is terrifying <laughs> 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 i would not want to be you know my five-year-old self in the face of a lava figure right mm -hmm. and right. so i think that's what a lot of my art is is how do i transform some of the inner world and externalize it into even if it's just a one image story huh. well so uh, Diamanto like a lot of your work is uh, bright colors like these really surreal yeah. and uh, beautiful and engaging colors and I guess um, yeah like what is what does that mean to you like what are you how are you choosing your colors are, are they expressing emotion or is it just what you like uh, <laughs> I guess uh, it can be both. Um, I feel I feel pretty drawn to color in general. Like I'm pretty like pretty obsessive about color, like bright colors, mm -hmm. and I feel like I have. Um, no, I can't. 
think of the word synesthesia. Yeah, oh, synesthesia. Yeah. So like, so colors have like a, a feeling and like they can have like all these other senses and, and then beyond that emotions attached to them. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's partially that and using that as like symbolism and then also just I really like certain color combinations and looking at them makes my eyes happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. hmm. uh, a lot of times when I'm talking to other creative people, especially people who are like, I'm an aspiring, you know, fill in the blank. I'm an aspiring singer, aspiring comic book artist, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big thing is that fear, right? Like they are trying to figure out how to, create their thing without having any failures yeah (laughs) and so uh right obviously that's that's a doomed mission from the beginning Mm -hmm. so uh i find this an important when i'm talking with artists on this podcast to Mm -hmm. talk about times that we have uh had an idea or tried for something and it didn't work out so who wants to share one of those (laughs) (laughs) um i i can share so One of the things that I did learn was art will do what it needs to do. And I can't force my art to go one way or the other. Mm. It's Mm. just going to be what it needs to be. Yeah. And the more that I try to force it, the more I'm going to be frustrated and probably run into those feelings of failure walls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think when in the past for me, if I feel like that may happen. I just wouldn't do art period (laughs) because (laughs) I knew that that would not be something that I wanted to face. Mm -hmm. And I know that the art is going to just be what it wants to be. It's kind of like paint or watercolor. There's, you only have so much control of those mediums and that's it. And you kind of have to work with how the art presents itself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, especially if you're doing it for healing, Mm -hmm. unexpected things can come up in the artwork. So I just wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't Mm -hmm. do it. Or I would switch mediums. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a time that I didn't paint for six plus years. I didn't paint Mm -hmm. at all. Wow. And I just switched to doing markers And I found that that actually helped a lot with my feelings of failure or fear in the art realm was just like changing it up. So then you can kind of go back to the exploration and experimentation playful stage. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reawakened my artist soul, (laughs) like a soul revival. So I couldn't be that hard on myself trying something new. And that helped me eventually pave the way back to the original art that I stopped doing. So that was, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but that's what (laughs) I did when I had that fear was I actually would just stop. And then eventually I was like, you're, you're an artist. You can't (laughs) create art. It doesn't work for you. So that's when I learned to just change a a medium for a while. (laughs) That's, that's an interesting uh, strategy, switching mediums. You know, like when the fear gets too big in, in one arena. Uh, did you have one that you wanted to share? Yeah, um, I definitely relate to the uh, switching mediums because, mm. uh, yeah, especially if you've been doing the same thing for a while, you'll 
kind of get into this uh, routine with it in some ways, I guess. And then switching routines or switching mediums can kind of shake that up. And um, I guess like uh, something that was difficult for me with wanting to do, you know, storytelling art of some kind and comics or animation, whatever, what have you, seeing that a lot of that artwork has those, uh, I guess it's more, it's, it's mostly, I'm mostly just thinking of like, um, like superhero comics and stuff like that. But, um, you'll have like the bold, the bold, like black outlines and all that stuff. And like, I'm like, yeah, that's what, that's what I have to do. (laughs) Like, I was like, I have to do this. Like, (laughs) this is is what comic books are. Or like for, for a time, it's like, I was really into like Japanese comics. I was really into manga. So I was like, oh, it's gotta be black and white. That's what I have to do. (laughs) And then I realized that like, neither of those things are what I wanted to do or what I, or what I do, like what happens for me naturally and just, yeah, trying to force it. Like, like you said before, just like trying to, trying to force it like, okay, but this is, but I have to do it this way. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not going to happen. Like (laughs) (laughs) given what a big part, uh, color plays in your art. Yeah. If you were doing black and white comics, that would be tragic. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was in like middle and high school, I was like, Oh, this is what, this is what I have to do. Cause I'm going to do, I'm going to do manga. (laughs) Like that's what I'm going to do. Like, mm. shut up, you're not Japanese cat. <laughs> I totally feel you. I, I think that's one of the one of the failures I hit was people telling me that my art would be so much better digital uh, uh, oh, rather than God. fine art. Yeah. And if I wanted to be doing comics or any kind of illustrative work that I needed to go digital. Huh. And I detest doing art on the computer. I'm already on the computer enough. I don't yeah. like being on there. Yeah. But that was uh, for a long time as a younger artist that really got to me for the mm-hmm. longest time and I I did the same thing I thought I had to force myself to learn Photoshop and yeah color characters on Photoshop and I even watched a couple courses and right. mm-hmm. I even had a college professor trying to push me to do huh. digital creations oh yeah it's so I funny because I, I was actually going to ask yeah. like do you either both of you work like digital or traditional so now I know the answer but you nope. just said so. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I definitely like mostly mostly traditional still sometimes I sometimes I'll do things like some things digitally but mm. it's just I don't know what it is like even I have like a tablet like that you are drawing right on the screen and everything and mm. I still there's this disconnect mm. um and it maybe it's just because as good as they can get it, there's just a little, like, the smallest bit of lag, like, a yeah. fraction of a second, and I'm like, oh, this, what, <laughs> what the hell is going on? Like, so, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it just, it doesn't feel as, like, tactile and, like, mm. satisfying. I don't get the same feedback that I get as um, when I'm doing traditional artwork. Yeah. Okay, well, here's here's one of my uh, so I was uh, let's say I put out my first put out Burning Mansion in 2017, mm-hmm. and I was uh, going actively to conventions. I was going to like Phoenix Con, New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, obviously Denver. Mm-hmm. So all these editors sort of got to know me, and there was this uh, one woman who worked at uh, I guess a publisher. I shouldn't say. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, but so now, but she she knew me. You know, mm-hmm. 
And so she was like, oh yeah, you should send me some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I sent her the Bernie metronome and she wrote me the meanest emails I've ever received about my stuff ever. Oh, and, and that is saying a lot because people, <laughs> people are mean on the internet, right? Like, yeah. So like, for example, the Bernie metronome appeared on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. I didn't put it there, you know? Yeah. And so I like read the reviews and no, they were all actually pretty good. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except for uh, one person, <laughs> one person that I know that doesn't know that I did, that I know that they gave me a good low rating. <laughs> Cause like, it would have been like, it was like a 4.3 stars, but this one person gave me like two stars. And I was like, just cause I know you, I would have gave you three. Anyway, <laughs> but, but uh, the email that I got from this uh, woman that was the editor said that uh, my dialogue was unreadable and um, that the art was unprofessional. And I didn't draw, you know, I hired artists who were very professional, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like that she couldn't make it past a few pages. Yeah. And I was like, huh. And so, uh, you know, I felt bad for a day mm-hmm. and I, I've made a, a policy for myself to not respond to an email that makes me feel bad, like to give myself 24 hours mm-hmm. before I do so I can actually, yeah. cause you know, <laughs> I've, I've had some ill considered responses in the past. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then when I read it again, I was like, oh, she was just being mean. Like she wasn't even trying she, to be professional. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't constructive no, at all. No. Like, <laughs> and uh, you know, cool thing is the very next day the person is my literary agent now called me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had just happened to read it. Somebody had given it to him and he's in New York. So I had gotten this terrible feedback from the editor. Then the very next day I get a call from a literary agent who's interested in representing me. You know, mm-hmm. so it yeah. balanced it out. <laughs> But one of the ways that I try to deal with uh, fear and rejection is to do a whole bunch of shit, right? Like, yeah. So if I have like six projects going forward at once, then if somebody wants to act up on the one, it doesn't yeah. bother me that much, you know? Yeah. Like, it, like I said, it'll be a day. I'll be like, oh, that's sad. Okay, well, I got to go work on this other thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems to have been working so far. Sure. Okay, so um, Diamante, you're talking about like uh, the themes of justice, yeah, how that's important to you in storytelling. Mm-hmm. And um, at different times when we've talked, you've talked about kind of ideas of things that you want to work on. Mm-hmm. So like um, your vision for art going forward, what kind of stories are you thinking of? What kind of, um, you know, what do you want to put out in the world artistically? Um, I mean, definitely like, stories that have that have sex workers and trans people and queer people that aren't like just a a one-off or a joke or um or even like like oh we're doing this because this is like popular now but also kind of we're not we're not really behind it like uh like there's just lots of a um I guess Queer baiting, queer baiting, yeah, huh. queer baiting. Like so, like they'll they'll be like, oh yeah, these characters are in a relationship, maybe like in uh, in some media, and you're like, and so like all the all the gay people are like, yes, yes, and then like uh, and then like all the bigoted straight people are like, are they gay? Are these homosexuals? <laughs> and then the creators are like, um, 
we don't want to label it. We just like whoever, like mm-hmm. however you want to like interpret something, that's up to you. And it's like, shut up, <laughs> you cowards. <laughs> and like, so I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I don't think that's I don't think that's fair. You don't right. get to have your cake and eat it too in that way. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I think uh, like and and queer gay relationships that are canonical explicitly. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, that's important to me. Outside of that, I'm I'm interested in a lot of science fictiony, fantasy, what have you. Yeah. Settings. So. Yeah, what what appeals to you about the sci-fi slash fantasy kind of settings? Well, I guess aesthetically they're they're fun. It's it's fun to draw, um, but then also I feel like those kind of those kind of settings are just enough far removed from reality that it uh, like makes you uh, like let your guard down, and then you mm. you can find yourself relating to the characters on a personal level when all these like things that happen to people happen to them. Um, And sometimes like if something's just like more slice of life or like every day, whatever, like I feel like people will be like, Oh, that's boring or whatever. Mm -hmm. But really some of that is like the shying away from, emotions which is totally fair because i do that too but (laughs) like (laughs) but i don't know i feel like having something fantastical or unreal kind of helps with that well you know that was a big thing for rod serling twilight zone yeah yeah absolutely he has a quote that i'm going to paraphrase but he basically said uh when i wrote about democrats and republicans i got censored but i wrote about martians i didn't yeah, yeah. So he could use that to tell whatever story he wanted to tell about society is if he can case it in fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works really well for like having those um, allegories, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, it works. It works really well. <laughs> it's like you're like, yeah. Do you like cool aliens? And then people <laughs> are like, oh hell yeah. And then you're like, psych, it's feelings <laughs> and like political commentary. <laughs> Have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, I think you just broke down my whole formula for every second. <laughs> I mean, it's a good formula, and I think uh, a lot of people use it, and it's <laughs> great. <laughs> All right, well, so Jacinta, what about you? Like, um, you know, next steps. What kind of things are you wanting to express in our? Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> big questions, I know. Mm-hmm. They are big questions. Well, and there's actually a lot of new things that are coming up for me currently. Is mm-hmm. Uh, opening up my own private practice to be able to use art uh, therapy, not only in the way that I would guide it, yeah. uh, but I also want to be able to offer art as therapy workshops where, mm. for example, if you if you are struggling with a grief and you want to do something to honor that grief, but you don't want to do it alone or you need support, right. I can offer a space where people are just creating art together and they don't even have to process they don't Mm -hmm. even have to talk about it they can just bear witness to what's being created Mm -hmm. and so that is formulating i will launch in september but only telehealth at first Mm -hmm. just because of covid and everything but i'm going to be moving into a physical space to be able to do that 
Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. And at my current job, they want to move me into the clinical director position, hmm. um, which will, I work with adults who committed a sexual offense. And so that's where I'm also going to start creating a lot of change and how therapy is done in that regard. Mm-hmm. But art therapy mm-hmm. was one of the things that was not accepted in that population. Mm-hmm. And what? I actually, <laughs> yes. And I actually had to prove quote, prove myself and how yeah. art therapy worked. Wow. And I, was able to do that. And so now that they want to put me as clinical director, that's another space where the art is going to nice. really be there. Personally, like I said, I started painting again and I'm tackling bigger issues <laughs> with my painting that I was kind of afraid to do before. Um, so I just created this one painting, which I might do a series of, but that fear is coming up. So it uh, is basically a very, very beautiful sunflower, but then I took red paint on my hands and I just smeared mm. across the whole thing and I call it blood in the soil. Mm. And it has a lot to do with just the impact on the world that people don't want to look at, right? They look at things that are aesthetically pleasing or they're mm-hmm. beautiful or they just feel good. And it's like, well... Yes, and uh, the sunflower grew out of blood, like, right. you know, and so that's what ended up formulating for me. So I'm I'm willing to see where this series is going to go for me. Mm-hmm. It's a little different than the usual illustrative work I've done or the comic book work that I've done, mm-hmm. but I'm really intrigued to see where that that's going to go. And I am still working on my comic book. <laughs> I'm that person that likes to... I'm writing, drawing, inking, and coloring it. Yeah. So it's just taking a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen yeah. my artwork. Like <laughs> it, it's it takes me like 20 hours to ink a 17, 11 by 17 page. So yeah. it's just very slow moving, but I'm still working on it. I'm very proud I of I guess it. I should yeah. say this for uh, people who are listening and are not aware of uh, the process of making comic books. So uh, traditionally, it's a sort of assembly line. Uh, so there are different jobs. There's the writer, there's the penciler who does sort of the roughs and figures out the camera angles. There's the inker who does more of the refined uh, detail and emotions, etc. There's uh, the colorist, and then there's somebody who does the lettering. And any combination of those jobs can be done by one or more people. When you're doing one Marvel and DC, they're usually different people who do all of those jobs. Mm-hmm. But when you're uh, doing one on your own, you're doing all of those jobs yeah, and it's mm-hmm. a lot of labor in those pages. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the only reason to make comics is because you love them because yeah, you can make a single issue, like a single, I almost said pen up again, a single image <laughs> and uh, you can make a sing- single image and sell it for like, you know, 25 to 150 or whatever your range is. So undervalued. Yeah. Whereas yeah. with comics, you know, you can sell them for like $5 maybe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so occasionally, just as a writer, I have artists come to me who don't do comics and like, we should make a comic together. And I'm like, you don't want this smoke. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think you want to do this. Do you show. realize the commitment? <laughs> level? Yeah. yeah. When you're, especially if you're doing other things, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm an art therapist. And so sometimes doing my own art and those projects do get pushed back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
doing my own uh, podcast for a while, like that got put on a little bit of the back burner because I'm like, Oh my gosh, trying to navigate private practice or trying to Mm -hmm. navigate these other things. So, but I still have a relationship with my comic. It's still alive. And that's really the the thing that matters most to me is sometimes I just pull it out and I'm like, just ink for five minutes. Yes. Don't always have the time that I want to dedicate. Right after a long day, but it's, it's something that's very special to me and I'm very proud of doing every step. But Mm -hmm. before I started making my comic books, I had an idea Mm -hmm. of what the process was like, but not how long (laughs) the process was. And so, yeah, it's very extensive. It takes a lot of time and effort. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, comic book artists can be expensive, um, but they're worth it. Like, cause it's a lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So this can sometimes be a weird question, but, um, at this point in your artistry and careers, mm-hmm. what would you say to a younger version of yourself? Like what kind of advice would you give? What kind of comfort or encouragement? Or would you say, no, don't do it. Stay away from comics. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hmm. Oh God. So much. <laughs> um, start like start drawing from life sooner hmm. uh, like because yeah. because i i feel like for for that's the first thing i i think of because for a long time i was just like well i don't i don't want to draw like real people i want to draw like cartoons or right. anime or comic books or whatever and it's like yeah you need those foundations though and <laughs> i was like no it's fine i don't i don't need it like i drew i drew for so many years of my life and like you know i was good for for a kid but like i wasn't uh i wasn't like advancing and like developing my craft like and being dedicated enough to it because I was just, I was just like, well, this is fun for me, which is totally fine. If you want, if you want to do it for fun, like that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And like, you don't have to, you also don't have to monetize everything you do in your life. (laughs) But, but because I like art was so important to me, it's just, uh, I just kick myself sometimes that Mm. it took so long for me to even like, draw a still life or draw a model hmm. well that's good advice yeah <laughs> all right what about you Jacinta? well first i love and live for weird questions <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's way better way better than normal questions <laughs> uh i think what i would tell my younger self is to trust that creative intuition and don't put pressure on yourself for your art to look a specific way, mm-hmm. you know, this, your art is already a beautiful thing because you created something that was never in existence before. Mm-hmm. And now it gets to have a space to exist. And it doesn't matter if your art looks like the next person's or mm-hmm. looks like Picasso or <laughs> whoever that you're comparing yourself to, like, there's no need for that pressure for your art to fit the niche or style or skill levels of another artist just to Mm -hmm. let your art exist and be yours. Hmm. I love it. All right. So uh, for people who want to support either of your art, uh, where do they go to find it? 
They send out smoke signals. Area <laughs> <Carrier> pigeons. <laughs> Type in a referral on my website for therapy. No. Um, That's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, so I have a um, social media, so Facebook and Instagram called Centalin Artworks. It's C-E-N-T-A-L-Y-N-N Artworks. And that's where you can pretty much find me anywhere. Right um, mine is Slimy Bug Bitch. <laughs> that's, uh, that's like Twitter, Instagram, and don't use TikTok very much, but I think that's TikTok as well. <laughs> um, and I post, I post as much as I'm able. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and we didn't even get into this because you're super into bugs and. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. also yeah, I'm also um, an entomologist or amateur entomologist. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Well, that'll be part two. With yeah, stuff. part two. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for talking to me. I really appreciate it. It's a great conversation. Yeah, that's wonderful. Right yeah, thank you. Thank you to today's guests, Diamanto Sala and Jacinta L. Erlanda. Visit ncadenver.org forward slash podcast to check out their work. Be sure to subscribe for more and leave a review. It really helps us out. How Art is Born is hosted by me, R. Allen Brooks. Cheyenne Michaels is our producer and editor. Courtney Law is our executive producer. How Art is Born is a project of the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver.